custom we're going to begin our time of worship together reading God's word out loud to each other to encourage each other so would you stand to your feet we're going to do that from Psalm 67 this morning so it'll be up on the screen we're just going to all read it together so let's begin may God be gracious to us and bless us may he make his face shine upon us sorry so long <laughs> so that your way may be known on earth your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. 
God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's sing together.
you give him glory? Give him glory. Amen. He's worthy. Thanks for singing. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Jesus is fairer than any other. How beautiful is that? Well, welcome to Hebron Baptist Church. We exist to glorify God by inviting every person to take their next steps toward Christ. For some of us, that might look like entering into a relationship with God. For others, it might look like being baptized or joining a local church. For others, it might look like entering into a mentor relationship. Wherever each of us is, we want to encourage all of us to take our next steps toward Christ. Well, my name is Alan, and it is such a joy to join and worship with you all today. Thanks for coming. If you're a guest with us today, we want to extend a special welcome to you. Thank you for being here. We're so glad that you're here, whether in person or online. We would love to get to know you, and one way we can do that is if you would fill out a Connect card. It looks like this. It's in the seat in front of you. If you'll pull this out, fill it out, this will let us know how we can be praying for you, how we can serve you. After service, if you leave through these center doors and turn left, you'll see our Next Steps desk. There you can turn this card in, meet someone who would be happy to answer any questions that you may have, and then we would love to give you a free gift there. So welcome to our guests. Also, as usual, we like to encourage our worship through giving. If you'd like to give, there's a few ways that you can do that. One way is by pulling out an online giving card. It's a card that looks like this. It's also in front of you. If you'll take this, you can scan that QR code with your phone. That'll take you to our online giving page. If you'd prefer to give in person, there are black boxes on the back wall of the sanctuary here. You can drop a gift in there. You can also write to P.O. Box 92, Hebron, Kentucky, 41048. Or you can drop into the office Monday through Thursday 9 to 4.30 or Friday 9 to noon. All right, well, we're going to join together in prayer now. Would you please pray with me? Good morning, Father. Lord, today we thank you once again for a new day, for the gift of life, for the gift of coming to worship you. And with worship on our minds this morning, we want to lift up to you our core value of engaging worship. Thank you, Father, for the invitation to worship you. We bow before you, the God who came near, who became flesh, who dwelt among us, the God who didn't simply look upon us from afar, but who knows firsthand what it's like to be human. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice of coming to walk on this earth. Thank you for the sacrifice of the death of God the Son incarnate, Jesus. We worship you. We give you praise and honor, and we pray that this morning that you would allow us to have a greater glimpse of how great and worthy of worship you are. As we gather as a church to worship you, Lord, please let our hearts be genuine as we sing words of praise to you. Let our personal quiet times with you be sweet moments of praise and joy-filled worship. Please let our personal and corporate worship of you be a source of encouragement to each and every one of us. Lord, you are so worthy of our praise. This morning, we pray, Lord, not only for our local church, but we lift up to you those worshiping you this morning at Redeeming Life Church in Utah. We thank you for our partnership with them. We thank you for Pastor Brian Catherman, and we ask that you would bless this local church. Bless Pastor Brian, bless the leadership, bless the congregation. We pray that they would be in awe and that you would give them a glimpse this morning of how great and worthy of worship you are. And as they worship you, Lord, we pray that their influence and light would penetrate the darkness of the surroundings that they have in their local neighborhoods, Lord. We pray that you would use them as a bright light, that many would come to have life in Jesus' name through their influence. 
Lord, we also pray this morning for health concerns in our local church in northern Kentucky. We continue to pray to you, Lord, for your mercy and healing when we think about COVID, the pandemic. God, would you please continue to be with nurses and doctors in northern Kentucky and around the world. We ask for breakthroughs in medical um, healings, Lord. We pray that you, would, that you would give help and wisdom, Lord, to those leading the charge and bringing a, a cure. We also pray for individuals facing COVID now in northern Kentucky, Lord. We pray that you would be present with them and that you would use these hard times to draw many to life in you, Jesus. We pray for members of our own congregation dealing with different health concerns. We think of Linda Davis. Lord, we ask that you would continue to bring healing to her. We pray for Tim Witcher. We thank you that he's able to be with us, and we pray you would continue to bring healing to him as he recuperates from surgery. Lord, finally, we come to you with our greatest need. We have all sinned against you. We've all fallen short of your glory, and we come to you as beggars in need of mercy. And we thank you for the amazing mercy and grace that you've given in the form of your son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life where we have all fallen. He did not. And we thank you for his faithfulness to you, his father, as he died on the cross in our place. We ask that you would wash us clean of our sins through his precious blood, that we could hide in him, in his righteousness, in our place. Thank you for the amazing gift of Jesus. We worship you now, Lord, and we pray that you would continue to fuel our worship with life from the power of Jesus' resurrection. We pray in his name. Amen. Stand beside 
voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the lamb who was slain and on that day we'll join the resurrection and stand beside
God's word. Let's make this our prayer and, and what we stand upon, every promise of his word as we hear.
I stand on every promise of your word. Not forsaken, not alone, for the Comforter has come. As I stand on every promise of your word. Grace sufficient, grace for me. You may be seated. I think that sometimes we silo our Christian walk and our spirituality um, in the disciplines of being in God's Word and praying, uh, and it feels like you can be alone sometimes. So to have not only just men to talk through Scripture with, but also to hold you accountable to the disciplines of being in God's Word daily and having a, a dynamic prayer life was a huge impact to me. I think it was great for me to connect with two other men uh, that are at different stages of life. I think during the times in which Tom, Doug, and I met, I could see the fruits of God moving in my personal quiet time. I think that was the biggest impact, just knowing that uh, I was going to have a conversation with these men, that um, they were expecting me to come with fruitful value to the conversation, knowing that, and that we were there to hold each other accountable and ultimately to glorify the Lord with our actions together as a discipleship group. And so that camaraderie and to share intimate prayer requests that you wouldn't share maybe with a life group or with someone in passing on a Sunday morning service, just a deeper level of accountability and uh, spiritual growth together. I would definitely recommend church members to, to get involved into a discipleship group um, because there are things and conversations that you'll, that you'll have in these groups that you don't have um, when you're just coming to church on Sunday. Or even if you're engaged in a life group, which everyone should be, um, you're not going to hold each other accountable to, to, to personal quiet times every day or to, to a dynamic prayer life in the format of a life group. But in the format of twos and threes, you really get the opportunity to um, put your money where your mouth is and really talk about what God's doing in your personal quiet time. Uh, or be honest about the fact that maybe you've struggled in that way in a more intimate and deeper level than maybe you will on Sunday mornings or in the life group format. Good morning. I would like to start off this morning with some feedback. <laughs> Mission accomplished. No, I, I want to read uh, real quickly a note that I received just this week. It says, hey, Derek, when you preach on Sunday, we'll have a two-minute video testimony from Clay about discipleship groups. Would you mind making a simple segue, reminding people about the mentor conference before you start? 
So that was a note that I received this week. So, and that was my attempt at a simple segue from the video. And, uh, and a few things I just want to call out about the, um, the mentor conference and the upcoming kind of three-on-three. -three. Um, I was uh, in a three-on-three -three session with Al and Mark, and um, it was so much of a blessing. Maybe turn me down just a hair. It was so much of a blessing. And, and, and I'll tell you very practically, so I'm raising a large family, and, uh, and just sitting there with Al, who has raised three boys that uh, by all accounts were um, at least as kind of challenging as mine, was very encouraging to pray with him, to get feedback from him, somebody that's uh, uh, kind of before me in the faith and, and can coach me. And, and so we're, we're launching these groups. We've got others that are forming right now. Um, I'm going to be meeting on Mondays. I've got one of two picked out. So I need a second one. Shameless plug. If somebody wants to help me raise my boys, please give me feedback. Do I need to step back? We'll try this. Okay. So if, um, if anybody's interested in that, come see me, but also see the pastors. Uh, also this week, I've received two or three notes from the pastors, making sure that I have somebody in my group or I'm searching for somebody for my group. Uh, so they're very anxious about getting more and more of these groups started. The uh, conference also is coming in March 4th through 6th, detailed in the bulletin. And so uh, mark that on your calendar. Come help launch that with us so that we can get together and, um, and really kick off, I would say, a, a, a tremendous shift that's going to be happening in our church. And so as, as the pastors have, have been meeting and praying and working hard on this, they're really wanting to see more and more intentional discipleship in our church. And so they're, uh, they're working on this conference and the three-on-three -three so that we can actively get more and more involved in that. Now, and then it says at the end of this note, then you can start. So, <laughs> I will start now. Now, there, there's an old story, many say, of the soldiers of Charlemagne. As they were going into war, they would baptize them because they'd been given holy orders to go and fight the fight. And when they would baptize them, they would take them and plunge them beneath the water, as we're supposed to do in baptism. But these soldiers would leave their hand out of the water and keep it dry. And they would say that the soldiers would do this because when they went into war, they wanted that one hand free to be able to murder and pillage and to do nasty, disastrous things that were not subject to the lordship of Christ. And so I also heard a pastor give an example of this and kind of liken it to modern-day Christians that will go and be baptized, and they'll leave that one hand out, but their wallet will be in that hand. He's talking about giving today, isn't he? I knew we should have slept in, or uh, are you feeling sick today? Do we need to go home? Now, I've titled my sermon today, What Are You Holding Back? What are you holding back? And so throughout this sermon, I want you to be 
asking yourself the question, are there things, are there things in my life that I'm holding back? Is there something that I am holding outside of the waters of baptism? Because I do not want to subject it to the Lordship of Christ. So is it a sermon on tithing? Yes, it is. Is it a sermon on missions giving? Yes, it is. Is it a sermon on free will offerings or love offerings or benevolence offerings? Yes, it is. And, and in part, that's one reason that our people are not up here giving that sermon. You going to switch me? Green? All right. And no feedback. Thank you. So, as, as we're talking about these different styles of giving, this is one of the reasons that, that, that I asked Sean if I could participate in this. I said, Sean, I don't know how many times as a member in churches um, and, and volunteering on the finance committee and such, I have heard various visitors or members say, oh, another sermon on giving. And it's coming from the people that are paid by the church. And so I volunteered. I said, Sean, listen, the next time that you want somebody to talk about giving, let me go at it. I am not paid by the church. I can yell, I can scream, I can stomp. And, and folks will not believe that it is just me trying to do a shakedown. And, uh, and then he stayed very close with me throughout the preparation process to make sure that I wouldn't do that much yelling or that much stomping. And, and so he helped me out there. Now, I, I want you to pull out your phones. If you've got a phone on you, pull out your phones. And I want you to just Google search or do a YouTube search of tithing. And I'll give you a couple of minutes to do that. And if you need to ask Siri, hey, Siri, search tithing. Now, scroll down through the responses. See what has came up. What has came up? You'll see several articles, blog entries, videos, and the major theme is, do we have to? Do we have to tithe? Is it, right? and, and it really sounds like when my children respond to me after I ask them to do something. Children, can you please contribute to the family in a certain way. Do we have to? And just by those articles, just by those videos, you see a revelation about the hearts that are alive and active in most of our churches today. Think about yourself. Anytime we've talked about the topic of giving, of tithing, how much of your own personal response, your personal question has been one of, do I have to? Or what's the least amount that I can get away with? Right? Or when somebody goes up and starts talking about tithing, very quick to become a theologian at that point. And you're like, well, actually, if you, if you look at this dispensation, or if you look at this part of the Bible, this means this. And so therefore, I don't have to. Now, on the topic of tithings, you will find that good, godly, Bible-believing brothers will have various positions. They all agree that when we use the word tithe, it means a tenth or 10%. That's just more of a translation of that word. That is a tenth. 
Okay? Now, what they're going to disagree on is to what extent it is mandatory or expected in today's New Testament church. Now, I would say as you read through all the different positions, you'll probably see somewhere between three and four positions begin to manifest. And so I will take some very broad brush strokes and kind of paint the picture of these three positions. And, and I bet you'll find that yourself, your own personal convictions, is in one of those positions. The first is what I would call a mandatory tithe. And what these folks will do is they'll go through and they'll say, okay, if you look at tithing, tithing existed before the Mosaic Law. There was, there was a tithing to Mel Melchizedek. You'll see that there was even offerings that were given um, by... Um, by Cain and Abel, and the first murder was a result of offerings. Okay, so it begins to reveal the heart of man there. Okay, so we see this from the beginning. So they'll say that as this builds up, and then you get to uh, the, the prophets, and it says, hey, bring your tithe into the storehouse, or else you're robbing God. And, and they'll, they'll look at that full picture, and they'll say, so that carries on into the New Testament. And some of those aspects have passed away. But the tithe or the tenth still remains. And so that would be one position. Another would be what I call a directional tithe. And this directional tithe will say something along the lines of, okay, well, it's not mandatory that it's 10%, but 10% is your starting point. Okay, and if you're giving less than 10%, then you've got some issues, some hard issues, some things that need to be addressed. And so there will be a position like that. Um, and then what I'll say is there's maybe a third position that is, is more of kind of a, they use that tithe as a, as a foundation. Okay, this is more of a, a flat tax to get us to kind of think about where we should be giving. And while the 10th or the 10% is not mandatory in and of itself, it's a good mile marker. Okay, now, you probably fit into one of those categories, whether it's mandatory, non-mandatory. Okay? But what I want to point out is a couple of things that I find very odd about those positions. Okay? As you examine all of the positions, there's one thing that none of them address. All of them kind of have an anchor point or a mile marker around a, a 10%. It doesn't explain why modern-day Christians only give 2.5% on average. Only 2.5%. That is actually 30% less than what Christians gave during the Great Depression. It's a shocking, shocking statistic. Okay, secondly, as, as you hear all of this conversation on tithing... It also does not really address how Christians should be faithful with the other 90% of their income. How many of us are meeting and talking and studying and examining ourselves and saying, how much should I spend on a house? How much should I spend on car payments? How much should I spend on education for myself, my kids? How much should I spend on entertainment? Am I being faithful to God with the other 90%? And, and I would advocate that in today's modern-day American church, we are being very argumentative about the 10% and sinfully indulgent about the 90 Now, let me try to modernize this. Modern language for modern people. Really what I'm trying to say is we are being very, uh, very divisive, about the two and a half percent 
that we're giving and not about the 97.5% that we're keeping. So as, as we kind of go into the scripture today, I want us to be thinking, what am I holding back? What am I holding back? And we're going to be reading in 2 Corinthians 9. So that's uh, 1,027 in your pew Bibles, 1027 in your pew Bibles. You can take your phones and flick over from YouTube and your Google search to pull up the text. 2 Corinthians 9. Now, I want to be reading from the ESV and a... a Sean encouraged me to start and finish with the CSB, and, uh, and I pridefully said, no, I, I've, I've got the ESV already. I'm going to go with that, and you're going to find in the very first sentence as I start to try to pronounce the word superfluous, superfluous, that, um, that I, should have, I should have listened to Sean, switched to CSB. Okay. So we're going to read out of 2 Corinthians 9. Now, it is superfluous for me to write you about the ministry for the saints. The CSB calls that... Uh, uh, unnecessary for me to write for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be otherwise if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Now the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now please pray with me. Lord, I come here in Jesus' name. And I call upon you for help today. Your people have gathered today to hear a word from you. I pray that the Holy Spirit just drives your word into them. Lord, if there be anything on my mind or in my heart that would not be your word, that you would shut my mouth. Lord, that you would help me to stay faithful to this text. And Lord, challenge us. Challenge us to be faithful to you with all that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, if you're familiar with the church in Corinth, uh, Sean preached on this a little bit last week. And he called it a dysfunctional church. A dysfunctional, and as I was preparing for this, I had written in my notes that this was a normal church. And then he used the word dysfunctional. And so I combined the two and I said, well, this is actually a, a, a normal dysfunctional church. Because as God brings sinners together and we all sin against each other, and we all are on some path of sanctification towards righteousness, there will be dysfunction among us. And so Paul writes in First and Second Corinthians, he writes to a church that is practicing favoritism. Right? They're, they're talking about, I like this pastor, and I like this one. I like it when he preaches, and I like, why is he preaching again today? Right? So they talk about that. They talk about sexual immorality. They talk about, in this letter, he, 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 in these two letters, he, he talks about giving he talks about the way marriages should be ordered and the way marriages should function. He talks about how churches should, should practice church discipline. And he even talks, and, and this was so funny, um, he, he talks in one part about folks going together at the Lord's Supper and, and some folks would get their fill and others would not. And I always thought that was so strange until I started coming to these Baptist potlucks where folks would run to the dessert table first and clean out all the desserts before... Everybody got in there. And I thought, wow, this is a normal, dysfunctional church. Okay, so Paul is writing that, and Paul writes on giving. So I want us to hear this word today as a normal, dysfunctional church, the challenge for us to be faithful with what we've been given. Now, in his first letter in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 through 3, he says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So this practice, 1 Corinthians, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the very end, is where we get the idea of setting aside an amount every week. Some of us give it in our e-giving. Some of us will, will sit down with our children and let our children watch how we pull out money every week. I know... In my first few years in the, in the Baptist church, I was a 100% tither. Every Sunday morning, I'd be given a dollar, and that full dollar I would take in and give to the, the Sunday school and then mark my envelope to say that I was a giver that day. Okay, so, so this is where we get that weekly practice, that discipline practice. Now, you flip over to the next, uh, the next book, 2 Corinthians, and you see right before this text, in chapter 8, he speaks of the Macedonians. And I've already read one chapter to you, so I'm not going to read that one as well. But he says, interestingly enough, of the Macedonians, they are giving according to their means, and they are even given beyond their means. So he lifts up the Macedonians as those that are giving beyond their means, and he says they are begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Begging us earnestly. Begging us earnestly. Can you imagine a day when our pastors cannot get up to the pulpit to preach because church members are grabbing them and saying, hey, what kind of needs do we have in this church? I want to give more. Right? Don't get up there and tell me about well, this is, the, this is the most you may give. I, I want to give more. I want to be able to contribute. I want to participate in the building 
of the kingdom. So he uses these Macedonians as an, ex- as, as an example. These Macedonians, they were, not, they were not coming in with a bare minimum question. They, they were not sitting down, and, and Paul did not commend them on writing massive theological tomes and, and, and books on whether or not the, the, the Old Testament covenant um, had a, a New Testament tithe version. They were not writing articles on hermeneutics and saying whether or not this, this Old Testament expectation of the tithe was expected in the New Testament. He commended them for giving beyond their means. Now, he didn't call it foolish, so I think it's safe for us to assume there was some level of prudence there. This was not a case of them signing up for and, and committing to build a tower before considering the actual cost. So I think it's safe for us to assume that of them. This was their faithful giving. And then he talks about having a, a, a trust but verify activity. He said, I'm going I'm to send some folks ahead of me. Right? They're going to come in and they're going to make sure that the things that you have promised are, are going to be fulfilled because I don't want us to get there and you to be surprised by it and us to have to charge you or shake you down or invoice you in, in some way. And so today I want us to take a look at three sections of this text. The first is in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 5. And we're going to see in this text that giving is intentional, it is covenantal, and it is volitional. Giving is intentional, covenantal, and volitional. Now, inside of that verse 5, we see that this gift was arranged in advance. Arranged in advance. So this was not something that happened last minute. Now, many of us, when we show up to church, you know, years past, we would have the offering plate come by, and, and then giving was something as well, whatever was left in our wallet that day. Or as we're leaving the church, we may say, you know what, that was a fairly good sermon. I'll drop a little extra in the box in the back. Okay, this was not a reaction. This was intentional. This was in advance. This meant that people had to actually sit down and plan. What can I afford to give? What should my budget look like? What am I spending money on or devoting resources to that I can gladly give up so that I can contribute more to the kingdom of Christ. This was a very intentional thing. Now, many times when we talk on tithing and we hear that 2.5%, that 2.5% statistic, we, we hear, oh, well, I just can't afford to give. I can't afford to give. We, we just, when we sit down, we look at the numbers, we just cannot make it work. And granted, that may be the case right now, but but consider some of these statistics. In the 1960s, the average family had one vehicle. In present day, we have two or more. Since the 70s, the average house size has went up by over 40%, while the average family size has decreased by 15%. So we're buying bigger houses, we're buying more cars as a people. The average family was able to survive with just one phone, one television, some zero televisions. In a Forbes article titled, America's Poor Are Still Living Better Than Most of the Rest of Humanity, we read the following. If you are stuck in the bottom 5% in the U.S. income distribution, your standard of living is about equal 
to that of the top 5% of those in India. So those of us that are saying that we cannot afford it, you may be right, but it's because of the decisions that we're making with the remaining 97.5%. Think about this. We live among the richest in the world and then consistently question what is the least amount that I can get away with giving? So brothers and sisters, I want to ask you today, what are you holding back? Now, if you are listening today and you're under conviction that you need to be more intentional with your finances, this is not something that just changes overnight. There may be some downsizing that has to happen. You may need to go out and renegotiate your insurance so that you can tithe more. You may have to rethink some of the contracts that you've gotten your family into. Okay? Brothers and sisters at this church would be happy to come alongside of you and sit and review. There are, there are folks that, that have, have raised their hand. Um, as, as we launch the three-on-three -three groups, you can be intentional about that. How can I partner up with people that can help me get my finances in order so that I can contribute to the kingdom, so that I can participate in the ministry to the saints. Okay, so there are people here that will help. Can you imagine for a second, many of our life groups sitting down and, and kind of going through a text together and, and they want to challenge each other about how do I be more kind or how do I be more loving? Could you imagine some of those life groups or three-on-three -three sessions pulling out family budgets with each other and saying, you know what, how, how much do you spend on groceries? Where do you get your coupons from? How can we work together so that we can free up more, so that we can tr contribute more to the building of the kingdom? How can we become more faithful with all that God has given us? Now, giving, it is not just intentional, it is covenantal. It is covenantal. Covenantal is a, uh, is a, is a big, somewhat legal term, biblical term for that that is promised. So we have promised it. Okay, and you see in this text there in verse 5, he said that it was arranged in advance, the gift that you had promised. Right? Some churches will, will take this and they'll say that you know, at the end of the year, we're going to build a budget based upon what our members say they're going to give next year. And they'll have members sit down and write out, I plan to give such and such over the next year to the church. And so they'll build the, the budget. We don't do that here. And, uh, I'm, I'm chair of the finance team. What we'll do is we'll take a look at historical giving and giving trends, and then we'll make a a budget for the following year. But what I, would, what I would argue is that when we sit down as a church and we vote on that budget, that we are all saying yes to that budget. And we're saying that we will participate in that budget. We will participate in making sure that we can afford the things that we say that we're going to do. So this covenant is also it's a matter of our, letting our yes be yes. Right? We are in covenant with one another. We're in covenant with God. If you are a member here today, you at some point in the recent past have read the church covenant. And, and it's, it's, it's often kind of shocking for me to see the, the, the level of, um, I'd say, haphazardness we use with the church covenant. We will stand up and we'll say, we're just repeating mindlessly what the person up on stage is saying 
as opposed to really thinking, I am making this a promise to God. I am making this a promise to my brothers and sisters in Christ who are members with me today. Okay, that covenant is the same level of covenant as our wedding covenant. Right? We go up, walk up the aisle, and we say, I pledge my life to take care of this woman, to provide for her, to protect her. To... And, and then if I walked out that day and pretended like I didn't even say it and forget all about it, then that covenant is not an important covenant. So giving is promise. Giving is a covenant. I want to read to you from the Hebron Baptist Church covenant. We all said this even last week. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. So if you were with us last week and you read those words out loud, you promised to others in this building, you promised to God that you will contribute cheerfully, being happy about it, excited about it, cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expense of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. So it's covenantal. Giving is covenantal. But it's not just covenantal. It is volitional. Volitional. That means it's voluntary. That means this is not something that, that, that we get kind of shook down and forced to do. This is something that we're willing to do. That we're willing to do it. So you see in, uh, back in chapter 8, he said that, uh, he's back in chapter 8, he says, this is not a command. This is not a command. This is a way for you to pr prove the genuineness of your love. Your love for God, your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a way for you to fulfill that love. So it's not a command. We see, see here in, in this text that it is not one that is to be an exaction. Something that, that is kind of pulled from somebody. So we're not a church that believes in a doctrine of indulgences. You know, this is not saying, hey, if you give your, your money to the church, then it's going to get you further in heaven or it's going to get you into heaven. Okay, so it is something volitional, it's something voluntary that we cheerfully participate in. So our, our tithing, our giving, is something that should be intentional, that we plan for. It's covenantal. It's something that we promise to do and we fulfill our promises. And it's volitional. It's something that we voluntarily do, that we're, that we're, that we're happy to do. And not just that, you see here in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it is a wonderful and willing act of worship. Right? And I'm, I'm, I, I get reminded very frequently by my wife and now my daughter that, that I, I give very, uh, very long lectures on money. And they can all probably repeat the, the, the wants and needs speech that I give. And, and, and I get very passionate about it and I find leave folks behind and they don't realize how exciting this can be. So I'm saying this is a wonderful and willing act of worship. A wonderful and willing act of worship. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So as he has decided, you see that intentionality once again. As he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, first, when I say this wonderful, I'm saying this again as a lay person that has no ties to the 
success or finances of the church, receives no benefit. I'm saying this from the text. God loves a cheerful giver. Our giving is something that will inspire cheer in us. This is that... uh, this, this is that kind of response that, that I am now excited to participate. This, this word cheerful, it comes from the Greek word hilarion, where we get hilarious. Hilarious. And so if you think about the last thing that you felt was hilarious, probably my opening, I can say. The last thing that you thought was hilarious, it got you excited Right? Our giving, our cheerful giving, should be something that we get excited about. It is a wonderful thing for us to do. And it is a willing thing. It's a willing thing. So earlier we talked about that idea of exaction. Now we see here, we, we don't want giving to be done under compulsion or with reluctance. So if you're here today, and I have just laid on a tremendous guilt trip, and you're going to walk out of those doors, oh, i got to give more. Then you've missed the point. This is a wonderful and willing act of worship. And I would argue that most of what you do with that 90 to 97% is really out of reluctance. I always enjoy that old Dave Ramsey quote. I, I use it in my wants and needs speech. Where uh, he says that we spend money that we don't have on things that we don't need to impress people that we don't like. We spend money on, that we don't have on things we don't need to impress people that we don't like. Now, as a Christian, we can look at that and we can challenge it. Well, no, we're supposed to love everyone. We're supposed to love everyone. But really what he's saying is how much of our 97.5% that is not going to the kingdom of Christ is really out of reluctance. We want to, the Super Bowl, I think, covered this well. They had that commercial that says we're going to keep up with the Joneses, and then at the end they pivoted to the Jonases. You watch that? Okay. That is a form of exaction and reluctance. If we are spending our money so that we can have an appearance to those around us of a lifestyle that is not true, that is something that is being pulled from us not something that we are intentionally seeking to do. It's, being, it's an exaction. It, it is our gods. We are bowing at the idol of fear of man, and our gods are demanding that from us. So if we're going to be faithful with all that God has given to us, that means we're going to be intentional, we're going to be covenantal and volitional with what he has given, and we're going to participate in this willing, this willing wonderful act of worship so it is willing we see that it's an act of worship it's an act of worship so it says paul says here that paul must give what has been decided in their heart now when the bible speaks of heart the bible speaks of heart it's this seat of emotions it's where our decisions are made and if we dig deep into the heart it's why our decisions are made will connect to really what we are worshiping We are spending money in various things because we are worshiping something. That something could be self. That something could be our own entertainment. That something could be the the 
the, the various people around us and our view or our, our, our desire to have them view us in a certain way. And then we come to a topic of giving, and because giving is so private, because we don't post giving numbers, and I'm not advocating we should, because we don't post the giving numbers, that's something that we can hide. I can go walk out to this car that people see. I can wear these clothes that people see. I can go attend these events that people see. And then my giving stays quiet so people don't see that. And at that point, is, is when we really think, what are we worshiping? Is it a fear of man? What are other people seeing? Or is it a wonderful and willing act of worship to the God that has given us all things? I'm going to pause on this text a second, and I'd like you to flip over to Hebrews 10, 34. Hebrews 10, 34. Because as, as we talk about the things in our hearts, the things that we worship that are other than God, I want you to hear what the author of Hebrews commends this church. So he's speaking to a church that is under persecution, under religious persecution. And he says there in verse 34 of chapter 10, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And so for the most part today, I'm speaking to church members, the folks that have sat and responded to our covenant. They've promised to give and contribute and participate. Okay? There may be folks here that are not members, folks that don't know Christ. All right, so all this conversation about leaving your wallet out of the water, you're like, well, I haven't put anything else in the water. Now, if you're here today and you're in that circumstance, I want you to point out, as we're talking about this, they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because they had a better possession. That better possession is Christ. That better possession is Christ. When we turn from who we are, what we worship, what we most love, and make Christ our singular focus. We realize that is a better possession. That is an eternal, an abiding possession that will not rust, rot, go away. That will be here forever. So if you are here in that situation, you don't know Christ, turn to him today. There will be folks available after the service. They can walk you through that, explain more of what that means. We can then get you plugged into life groups, into three-on-three -three sessions, and disciple you. Okay? But if you are the other group, the group that I'm addressing today, the, the church member, the one that has you know, fully, fully kind of submerged into the water but held the wallet out, it's the same message. It's the same message. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. They knew that their dwellings, their clothes, any possessions they had were all temporal. But Christ is eternal. Our life with him is eternal. So consider, am I holding 
back because I'm worshiping at the idol of a lesser possession. Now, I'm going to wrap up today as we're thinking about what we may be missing out on by looking a little bit later in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10. So I'll give you some time to flick back there. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10. And I, I want to I just end with this, this exciting truth from the scriptures on our giving. So 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not about supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. As we read through this, you're going to see these three truths. One, that God supplies, that he doesn't just supply, he multiplies, and that God sanctifies. God supplies, God multiplies, and God sanctifies. Look at the first part of that text. God will supply. He will give you enough to be generous. Just as Jesus talked about the widow with the two mites, she did not have much, but she had enough to be generous. So God will provide enough to be generous. If you are living under the wrong worldview that your company and your boss is solely in control of your paycheck, then you've missed the point that God is in control of the hearts of men. If you think that all the bill collectors are the only ones in sovereign control over what they're trying to collect from you, then you miss the point that God is in control over all the institutions of man. God will supply. Now, as I sat down and I started thinking, how do I preach on giving how do I preach on giving? Several texts came to mind. Sean and I sat and we went back and forth on a few. I, I thought about preaching from Matthew 6, 25 and following about the birds and the lilies being provided for. And then I thought about Luke 12, 22 and following about God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It tells you not to worry about what you're going to eat or drink or where you live. And I thought about preaching from Matthew 10, 29 and following about how much more God values us than the sparrows about God supplying every need from Philippians 4.19, about Psalm 84.11, that no good thing does he withhold. He's the giver of good, perfect gifts from James 1.17, and on and on and on. And as, as I saw all of these texts about God being the supplier, I said, well, surely there's so much there that these people don't need to hear about that. God supplies but he doesn't just supply, he multiplies. He multiplies. Now, if you are a good Baptist, the hairs on the back of your head standing up, what is he saying? Is he bringing gospel of prosperity into this church? No, I'm not. We have done a good job of arguing against this gospel of prosperity. It's a false gospel. It teaches that if we sow a seed, right, you sow that seed, and then God's going to return it to you so that you can go buy that car. God's going to return it to you so you can go be in that mansion. 
You just sow that seed of faith. And, and, if, and if you are sick, if you have money problems, it's not because you didn't manage it. It's because you're not giving enough and you need to go give, give, give more. Okay? Most of these folks that are preaching this are walking around with, with uh, shoes that are thousands upon thousands of dollars and, and driving cars that, that are more expensive than many of our houses. And, uh, and they preach a false gospel. But what I volunteer to you is that in our aggressive defense against that nonsense, that we miss out on texts like this, that he multiplies for giving. It says it right there in the text. He multiplies our seed for sowing. So that means that as we give, as we're more intentional with our money, as we worship with our finances, he's going to give back to us. Not for us to hoard up and have wealth beyond measure, but for us to give more. Because we are being good stewards with what he's giving us. So he gives back and multiplies back to us so that we can then give more. So that we can contribute more and more to the growth of his kingdom. As a, one old Baptist lady used to say at a church, you can't outgive God. So he is the one that supplies, and he will multiply. But the third point we miss out on often is he sanctifies. He sanctifies. So God multiplies our seed so that we may grow in our generosity and so that it may have a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness. So when you think about all the things that are, you're, you're holding back for, all the idols in your heart, as you sit down intentionally and examine your budget and pray through it and repent of some of the things that you have valued in the past that you should not value, as you get more and more excited about the contribution to God's kingdom about the gospel going forth. As you get more and more excited about that, you're going to find yourself with less and less of these idols capturing your heart. And this harvest of righteousness, this progress of sanctification, is God using your giving to cleanse you, to make you more like Christ. Christ, the one that did not account equality with God something to be grasped, but poured himself out, even to the point of death on the cross. He gave everything for us. He's that greater possession. So he doesn't just supply, he multiplies and he sanctifies. And this produces, you see in that text, it produces thanksgiving. It produces thanksgiving. Now, without this body's cheerful giving, we wouldn't have this church. We wouldn't be able to come here and worship God. We wouldn't be able to gather together. So for that, I am thankful. When I see your cheerful giving, paying for this church, it brings thanksgiving to God. I'm thankful to God for your faithfulness. Our pastors couldn't provide for their families, couldn't devote themselves to the gospel ministry without that faithful giving. And they're thankful to God for that giving. Our partner churches that are pushing back on the, 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 the forces of evil, they could not devote themselves as much to the gospel ministry. So they are thankful to God for your giving. 
the missionaries that we're sending overseas that we're sending to places that don't know the name of Christ they would not be able to do that without the giving that comes in from God's people and they're thankful to God for that opportunity but more importantly your giving your giving enables your participation in the gospel ministry and the building of the kingdom and for that you should be thankful you are participating in something where you are receiving a better possession than anything that you have today. So what are you holding back? Now, hopefully I've challenged you today, not with man's opinion, but with the word of God. And I'm going to leave you today with three recommendations. The first, sit down and make a budget. If you have never sat down and said this this is what God has entrusted me with, and this is how I'm going to be faithful to God with all that he has entrusted me. Sit down and make that budget. If you don't even know where to start, come let us know. We will partner you up with folks that can teach you in that, that can coach you in that, that can encourage you along your way. The second is, as part of that budget, set a giving target. Be intentional. Fulfill that covenant promise that you make. Set that giving target. I encourage 10%. I encourage 10%. And then third, watch God work in your heart, in your church, in this community. Watch for the thanksgiving. As you set that budget in place, there's going to be some rough nights. Because it's going to expose things in you that you did not realize was there. As you strive to achieve that giving target, it's going to produce change in your life, in your household, in your family. And that change is going to be God honoring, God glorifying, and will ultimately produce thanksgiving. So watch for it. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of the Macedonians, the, the church in Corinth, as they went before us, and they sacrificially gave with enjoyment to help build your kingdom. God, I pray that if there's folks among us that are not faithful givers, that they would be challenged today. I pray that, that if there are folks among us that are faithful givers, but, but are not being intentional with their giving, Lord, that they would be challenged. But above all, God, I pray for thanksgiving to abound. I pray for us to be thankful for the opportunity to participate in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's commit these things to the Lord with our voices and with our bodies. Sing this together all to Jesus. All to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give. I 
my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken, take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, maybe Savior holy thine. Let me feel the
church, Pastor Mark here, reminding you about our Go Tell Challenge. We're hoping that by March the 13th, that's a Sunday, that we will have reached 150 invites for the year up to this point, which would get us to this red line. Um, some of the folks have said, well, I like to do the invites, but I don't want to fill out a, 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 a I don't want to write the name on a ping pong ball because I feel like I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. It's great that you're, you're inviting. We want everybody inviting, but we want to to celebrate together that, that God is building this new culture in us to invite our friends and neighbors and families. So I want to encourage you, even if you want to do it maybe when nobody's watching, come early, stay late, fill out, uh, sign a ping pong ball, stick it in the, in the board. That way we can celebrate together. So our goal is 150 invites by March the 13th. That may sound like a lot, but if every one of our members were to invite one person, we would exceed that goal easily. So this is something we can all work together uh, to achieve. So hopefully we'll have 150 invites. Uh, uh, 150 people might uh, show up to church on that Sunday. Wouldn't that be exciting to celebrate that together? Will you take part in this challenge to invite someone to church by March the 13th? Hope you will. it's on there we go uh so yeah we, we have the go and tell challenge that mark was just talking about invite your friends your neighbors your your co-workers uh we have go and tell day march 13th on on that sunday so we want to we want to see the lord do amazing things i've been very encouraged i've been getting text messages i've been talking with people who have been inviting people having gospel conversations uh the lord is at work we we trust that he will provide and multiply right as we're faithful whether it be in giving or inviting uh, reaching out to people that the Lord will work through the prayers of his people through the efforts of his people So let's let's do that and be faithful together to do that Also, uh, just a reminder if you're interested in the Salt Lake City, Utah uh, Mission trip coming up at the end of July. We have an interest meeting after service today So stick around in the sanctuary. We're going to discuss plan price dates things like that also uh, next Sunday uh, in the afternoon at 4 p.m. We're having